Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host. My name is Bill Cannon. I'm a retired NYPD sergeant with 27 years of service. And with me today, my co-host, another retired detective from the NYPD, straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How's it going, Phil? Pretty good, Billy. Uh, like uh, we were talking off the air, a little bit of uh, podcast withdrawals over the last couple of days. So I'm raring and ready to go. You know, it's funny when you don't go on the air in a couple of days, you do, you get, you got like raring to go, you know, and uh, you see a lot of your, uh, your friends that are content creators, uh, Duty Ron, who's like knocking it out of the park and uh, you get like raring to go and you want to, you want to report on the, on the stuff that we've been talking about. All you folks that are in the chat. uh, Thank you so much. Uh, We're going to talk today about the Murdoch case from South Carolina. And we're also going to talk about the Gabby Petito case. Uh, If you guys aren't subscribed, please hit that subscribe button, ring that bell and give us a thumbs up. We're uh, trying to build up our subscriber audience. We, uh, we know we're not duty run, but you know, we want, we don't want to steal some of his fans too. Or or, or like some of you like to be referred to uh, subs subscribers. I rather refer to you as, as fans because I think that's, uh, what you are. Kaza Wright, hi from England. We always seem to bring in the folks from England, and we're so happy that you folks from across the pond enjoy uh, our New York accents and, you know, uh, real crime stories from a police perspective, and that's what we're trying to give you here. Uh, I wonder not, what time it is in England, Bill. I wonder if that has something to do. I it think it's, like- it's about six or eight hours difference, I think. Country girl, yeah. Country yeah, girl from France. Funny. How are you from France, Yorkshire, England? Hello from Poland. I think you guys are, are just jerking me around. You're really from Poland? That's great, though. Oh, it's 7 p.m. Phase 28 says. It. Is that in England? 7 p.m.? Yeah. Hello from Maryland? That's probably you got guys? a lot to do with it. So, you know, there's been some um, – we're going to talk a little bit about the Murdoch case, and then we're going to go right into the Gabby Petito case. And tonight at 5 p.m., we're going to go deeper into the Gabby Petito case with uh, – a fan favorite or subscriber favorite, let's call it Joe Murray, the attorney Joe Murray. Good man, the, Joe. Good the, man. The, the Silver Fox. Everyone's uh, yeah glad that the Silver Fox is back from his bout with COVID and he's feeling better and he's uh, spry as ever. In fact, I see Angela, Angela Eng is in the chat. Good afternoon, Angie. Great to see you here. And uh, she helps us sometimes as a, as a moderator. You know, I heard uh, sometimes in the chat it gets bombastic. And if, they, you know, if people could fight each other, there'd probably be some fistfights in there. Thank God it's only words, right? Sticks and stones, as they say. Anyway, we have some um, – in the Murdoch case, there's uh, – Well, before you go into that, I just want to say one thing. I don't mean to cut you off, but we were talking about how we had a little bit of uh, – you know, uh, withdrawal from doing podcasts. We did so many in the last couple of weeks. We were doing two and sometimes uh, three in, in two days and stuff. So, yeah, there's definitely that. Um, I wanted to talk about something else. I didn't discuss this with you before we went on the air. Duty Ron and uh, did a show with uh, J- uh, Kyle and Jen Bethune the other day, and you were on that. And I didn't want to discuss it with you because I wanted I wanted it to be straight from the heart. I saw you on that. You showed emotion. Uh, you had a motion that I had, uh, when they found, uh, Gabby's body, uh, we were eating dinner and when we turned on the news right after we finished and we saw it, everybody in my house got choked up and I just want to make a point about it. I think everybody should go and check, check out that episode with the Bethunes. It was great, but you saw 
real true emotion. Uh, I've only been brought to tears a handful of times on the police department. Um, Bill, you, you, you showed true emotion. There's no question about it that you were uh, emotional about it. And uh, it's because we're invested in this case. And, uh, you know, sometimes we may come across, like if you see on the news, uh, you see homicide detectives standing around a dead body and sometimes they may have a smile on their face or something like that. We're not joking around about what we do, but sometimes there's a little bit of levity that needs to be put into the situation so you don't go crazy and you're able to deal with it. And I think, Bill, my hat is off to you that you showed emotion on this case and, and we're, we're human beings. We're just true human beings and we're not cold and callous. We have to deal with death on a daily basis when we were active. And in this, in this case, I think we're both very invested in it from talking about it and being so close to the family, opening, opening yourself up to that kind of uh, emotion with that family was just, it really, I mean, when I, when I listened to it, I got a little choked up too. And I think you said it most eloquently, eloquently when you said God put those people there and uh, just hats off to you, Bill and people that are in our chat that subscribe to our show, go check out that episode on duty run. It was with the uh, Bethunes that found the van and Bill, you're a good man. Thank you, Phil. You know, it's funny. You don't, uh, there's no planning on getting emotional. Uh, it just, uh, it happens, you know, and uh, those people are great people. Uh, the Bethunes, and they're very, you know, when you talk about the best in in mankind, they are definitely that. And you almost feel like you want to be there to protect them because they're almost like too good. You know what I mean? Sure. And they, people like that are the people that need police. They need the tough guys like us, you know, to protect yeah. them. But, you know, tough guys cry too, you know, and it's uh, it was a very emotional thing. And them finding Gabby's van and all the – um the the things that put them there that you know oh someone told them don't go this way go into the park this way it's more scenic and then they weren't going to go there for another reason and they did it anyway and so there's so many things happenstance things that put them there and you know it just was there was too many coincidences coincidences for them to have just been put there by anyone in my feelings i believe in god and i think that's who put them there Divine and, intervention, as they say, divine intervention. I believe in that too, Bill. I'm I'm 100% with you. I believe in that too. So I believe in yeah. God and, you know, those that don't, that's okay. But uh, sometimes people are just placed in a certain spot to do certain things. And it was really touching when you heard the story from Jen about how she connected with, with Gabby's mom and they, they kind of felt comfort with, with one another, you know, bereaving families. In the police department and the NYPD, we have – uh, you know, when the widows uh, of, of slain police officers that are killed in the line of duty, they comfort one another. And I'm sure it's a, it's a great help. It's never going to erase what's going on. But, you know, having people that been through it, so to speak, or around you at a time of need when, you know, you lose a you lose a child, God forbid. But uh, it, it, it's comforting in some way, I'm sure. One hundred percent. You know, uh, folks, as we said, this show right now, we're just sort of like giving you an overview of what we're going to cover tonight at the five o'clock show uh, with, uh, we're going to have Joe Murray come on with us, the great attorney and retired NYPD police officer. We're just going to touch upon the Murdoch case. And there's a couple of things I wanted to show you. There's a quick video and Curtis Edward Smith was the guy who uh, Alec Murdoch hired to shoot him. And it happens also to be his cousin. I just want to show a short video of that just to get back in the case. And we, this, the, most of you that have been following us, this case is, you can't just pick it up today. So I assume that many of you 
know a little bit about it. So I'm just going to show you this. He hired uh, Curtis Edward Smith to shoot him so he, his son could collect a life insurance policy. I'm going to play this short video right now. I consider you one of my best friends. He's like a brother to me. That so-called brother is Alec Murdoch. South Carolina authorities say he asked Curtis Smith to shoot and kill him September 4th. The plan, according to SLED, to help Murdoch's surviving son Buster collect a $10 million life insurance policy. <laughs> but it didn't work. Instead, Murdoch told SLED what happened, so they arrested both of them. But where's the connection between the two? Through court records, we found out Murdoch represented Smith in a personal injury lawsuit back in 2010. Had to have three discs removed at the back and got rods and screws in every place of them. It's not fun. Smith says injuries from a logging accident left him permanently disabled. Talk to me about the pain. Uh, it's, it's an everyday thing. I mean, it's everyday. I know it's there all day long. Court documents indicate Smith took Oxycontin for that pain. But fast forward to this month. Authorities charged Smith with distribution of meth and possession of marijuana, a drug parallel to what unfolded during Murdoch's bond hearing. If anyone uh, wants to see the face of what opioid addiction does, you're looking at it. In the days after the shooting, Murdoch said he checked himself into rehab for substance abuse. Is Alex somebody that you cared about? Yeah, I say he's like a brother to me. I'd have done anything in the world for him, almost anyway. It just is, it's crushing to know that it didn't let me nothing, nobody, especially him. Curtis says he feels betrayed. Do you see the truth out there? Do you, do you see the truth coming forward in this case? I hope that when it's all said and done, that everybody will wind up being exactly where it's supposed to be. Billy, that interview, was that his uh, his interview post-arrest for shooting Alec, or was that before? Yeah, you know, that that's post-arrest. Okay. That's post-arrest. But the, you know, the whole point in, in, in that is, is that, you know, and we'll, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this case today, but is that on June 7th, Paul Murdoch and his mom were, were shot to death on the family's hunting lodge. Now, if Alec hired this guy, Curtis Smith, to shoot him, then why wouldn't we believe maybe the same thing may have happened on June 7th to Paul and, and, and his mom? Uh, and maybe Alec hired someone to shoot them, shoot them for the same reason, the $10 million life insurance policy. Yeah, good point, Billy. Um, I think we're going to get into it a lot further. There is some new uh, details that emerged in the last day. Uh, even today, some stuff came through uh, regarding that. So we'll talk about the motives tonight at uh, the 5 o'clock episode. I think that uh, what we're going to expose regarding uh, you know, the new details is going to really – uh, provide a, a, a really good motive, I think, why Alec may have wanted uh, his family uh, his family dead. And, you know, the whole thing with Curtis Smith, um, 
I don't know. It just, it doesn't sit right with me that he hired him to shoot him, but it was a flesh wound. And so we'll get into that too. It, it, the story is still kind of weak in my mind. Um, you know, the day-to-day details that really erupted throughout the whole time since June when, when the double homicide took place, there's so much to unravel. So uh, we'll get into that a little deeper later today and uh, our opinions on whether or not we believe Alec could be responsible for any of these actions, uh, whether he is innocent of any of these actions, and where, where we feel that Curtis fits in in all of this. No, absolutely. Folks, in the chat, thank you guys for uh, coming by earlier this afternoon to listen to us, the pro- promotional for this evening. Uh, we're going to start now uh, jumping into a little of the Gabby Petito case and some of the, the new things that have been going on. There's not a great deal of new stuff. A lot of the stuff that comes out as new, I believe the FBI has had for several weeks. Uh, Phil, for example, talking about those booster phones. And um, that uh, I'm sure the FBI has had for several weeks, but it's really just coming out now as, as new news. You have any comments about that? Yeah. You know, listen, let's face it. We knew early on that the FBI would be all over uh, phones, uh, any kind of, uh, you know, uh, computer equipment, any of the electronics, they'd be all over that. And they provide a tremendous tool for law enforcement as of late in the last uh, 15, 20 years or so, uh, it gives a good uh, indication of where people have been, where they've gone, communication regarding text messages, phone calls. So, and with computers, uh, you know, you can pull up search records when a person looks for a place to hide, let's say, uh, if they search that area, or ways of committing murder, it might be uh, research regarding poisons and uh, specific causes of death and things like that. So, all of those things definitely provide. Uh, a definite uh, look into the mindset of anybody involved as a suspect, person of interest, if you want to call it that, which we don't like. I, I, I hate calling it that. Yeah, spoke, yeah. We spoke about that with the judge the other night. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous term in our world, but it's a nice way of saying somebody that we think we'd like to talk to or look into a little better. But uh, yeah, so all of those things, and and we'll talk about it later tonight. They did recover some video of Alex, I'm sorry, not Alex, Brian, uh, Dirty Laundry, and his mom and dad in a cell phone store around the 14th, I believe it was, uh, purchasing, uh, I have it written down here someplace. Uh, f- uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's video, I'm sorry, on the 4th. On the 4th of Brian, as well as his mom and dad, or uh, yeah, his dad, uh, in a in a, a video uh, an AT and T store, a video has been uncovered of a phone purchased uh, on September the fourth. So we'll talk about that, and then what happened to that phone and stuff like that. And you know, th- th- these phones uh, again. I don't want to stress it too much because it may be, make people not carry them if they're going to do something nefarious. But uh, they are a great tool in law enforcement today. Absolutely, Angel O One Andrea, new member of the YouTube family. Thank you so much for joining up. It's easy for me to spot you guys in the chat. You're in green, and that's great factual breakdown. Uh, I don't think Laundry is dead yet, but what I want to know is where the murder indictment is. The longer it takes, the less likely one will be obtained. No, uh, no factual, factual breakdown, that's not true. Yeah. In actuality, the longer they take to do the indictment, the better it is for the prosecution because it gives them more time to work on the case. Of course. So until he's in custody, they're not going to indict him for murder. 
In fact, they may take their time even when they get them into custody because they have that other charge to lay on them that for, for that arrest warrant. So that's not factual breakdown. Thank you for your input, but that's not really a factor here. Um, it's not even necessary at this point. Again, they may they may be ready. They may be loaded up and ready to hit them with a, a you know a murder indictment when they get them. But at this point, there's no reason to. They have the other charge, like Billy said. When they get them, they may unload it quickly. It may take a little time, like you said. And so we'll go over that as those uh, uh, you know things developed. Uh, Jenna, good question. Why are some items admissible in court when they could help the defendant, the plaintiff? I'm afraid this will happen for Brian's case. Well, all evidence that the prosecution has has to be turned over to the defense in something known as discovery. So they can't hide anything. They have to give everything they have to the defense. Even if it helps the defense's case over the prosecution, they have to give that up. And that's our system. Phil, you want to comment on that? Yeah, well, Jenna, I hope you stay tuned tonight at five because we're going to have Joe Murray on, who is like a legal expert. He's a tremendous uh, defense attorney. Uh, he's done many trials. He's also a retired member of the NYPD, so he'll be on with us. That's a great question, and I think that, unfortunately, sometimes there are things that we have to turn over that may not uh, you know, help our case. It may help the other side, but that's the legal system. We're okay with that. It's, uh, it's done in every case, like Bill mentioned, uh, it's discovery and all your information, even notes that you put on a, like when we have a, a walk around with a notepad, um, we may scratch notes during the case. We have to even turn that over. We'll transcribe it into a report. We call it in the NYPD, a DD five, which is a, a follow-up, a, a complaint follow-up, but even your notes have to be turned over. Anything you write down, any communication you have with people, interviews, all of that's turned over. And there's good reason for it. You're going to put somebody in jail for 25 years to life or more, or let's say even in a death sentence, there needs to be every inch of the evidence that is put against them that is ascertained during the investigation and it has to be turned over to uh, the defense so they could look at it and maybe they can find something that'll prove uh, that this person is not guilty of that crime. And, and we would never want in law enforcement, we don't want anyone that's innocent going to jail. That's for sure. Uh, Bella Michelle, Jersey girl. Thanks for the $5 super chat. And she says, love you, Bill and Phil, New York city strong. Thank you so much. And in fact, Thank Jersey you. girl, there's even a song that's written about you, right? Bruce I'm in love with the Jersey girl. I, he actually didn't write it. Tom. Um, Is that true? Yeah. Someone else wrote it. I, I'm, now I can't think of his name. It's that guy. He's got the real gravelly voice. I can't think yeah. of his name right now. You, you know, I, I, I like some of his music, but he's he's come out as anti-cop in his politics in, in the past. And uh, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, what Duty Ron had spoke about last night, and it caused a little bit of a shitstorm in the chat, was there some new body cam video uh, from the um, the August 12th incident with the Moab police. I'm just going to put it on the screen. We've made, we'll talk about this in more depth this evening, but I just want to show this quickly and uh, we'll, we'll have a quick conversation about that. Did you get hit in the face? Newly released police body cam video shows more of the moments from an August incident in Utah between Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. We want to know the truth if he actually hit you. Because, you know, I guess, yeah, but I hit him first. Where did he hit you? Don't, don't worry, just be well, honest. He, like, grabbed my face. Like, like, slap your face or what? Well, like, he, like, grabbed me, like, with his nail. And I guess that's why it looks, I definitely have a cut right here. Like, a peel of yeah. 100 burns. 
The video, taken more than five weeks before Petito was discovered dead near a campground in Bridger Teton National Forest. Moab City Police pulled over the couple's van on August the 12th, separating Petito and Laundry. after they said a witness reported seeing a man hit a woman in the face. She gets really worked up, and when she does, she swings and she had her cell phone in her hand, so I was just trying to get her away. Well, to be honest, I definitely hit him first. Where'd you hit him? I stabbed him. You slapped him first, and then it's on his face? He gets kind of just shut up. Police previously released shorter videos of the incident, but the newly expanded version also includes conversation between officers on the scene. In no way, shape, or form that I can perceive does what happened here, a little slap fight between fiancés who love each other and want to be together, can I perceive that this is going to digress into the situation where he's going to be a battered man? Right. But then again, I don't have a crystal ball. According to the police report, the responding officer initially described the altercation as a mental emotional health break, not a domestic assault. Earlier this month, the city of Moab, Utah, announced it's launching an independent investigation into the way officers handled that incident. In Florida, FBI agents combed the laundry family home again Thursday, departing with this bag. An attorney for the Laundry family says the feds picked up personal items belonging to Brian to assist canine teams in their search for him. The lawyer also confirming Brian Laundry purchased a new cell phone just days after returning to Florida without Petito, a phone that is currently in the FBI's possession. Investigators have not named Laundry as a suspect in Petito's death. As for the city of Moab, they say they have no comment right now on this additional video, guys, or on the status of their investigation into that incident. As for the police department there in Utah, they did not respond to NBC News' request for comment. Hold it back to you. All right, Sam Brock Forrest there in Coral Gables. Sam, thank you. You know, Phil, as you could see that, that there's so much room for... Um, Monday morning quarterbacking on that and whether the police in fact made the right decision, whether they made the wrong decision. I had initially said that um, based on the information that was presented very early in the case, I was unaware of the 9-11 call that had said that someone saw him smacking her. And had I been a boss responding to that scene, knowing all of the facts, and at first I didn't know all the facts and I felt that they they handled the case pretty well. But once I knew that uh, there was that second call about the slap, what I would have done had I responded to the scene as a boss, I would have had them both arrested. And would that would that arrest have prevented her murder? You know, as we said, none of us have a crystal ball, but just on police procedure, I would have erred on the side of making the arrest and rather than uh, letting them both go with a, like a, a report. You know, Bill, um, I think I heard on the news, not I think, I know I heard, that they said that there is a must-arrest uh, statute in that area, in Moab. Um, you know, based on the new information now that we're seeing, my opinion, you know, I was uh, uh, behind the cops 100% based on what I saw, that they made a good call. But now my opinion has changed a little bit about it. Uh, like you said, I think maybe an arrest on, on both parties uh, cross complaints. Um, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. The officer said that in his opinion, and I'm not going to second guess them. Maybe they met all the guidelines that they live by on a daily basis. Um, but if it were me in New York, 
I think uh, they probably both would have gotten collared. And even if it was just a, a couple of hours uh, out of each other's hair, separated, maybe it might have led to a different outcome. But I'll be honest with you, from what I'm learning about his past behavior towards Gabby, and we'll talk about that again later tonight, and you know, friends' uh, uh, past behavior, I don't know if it would have did anything. We don't have crystal balls, but uh, the one thing I can say is that the murder appears to not have happened the very next day or even a day after that or two days or three days. It happened weeks later. So who really knows? You know, I just want to say to a lot of the folks in the chat, you know, there's something in uh, that we're trained to do in regarding domestic violence, and that's determine who the primary aggressor is. It's not always an easy thing to do. We don't have a courtroom out on the street and we don't have mental health counselors out on the street. And these incidences, they, you, you can't spend two to three hours on them, you know, which would probably be necessary uh, in some of these instances. But some people are saying, oh, you're in Monday morning quarterbacking. I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking. I, I, when I first made a judgment on this case, I did not have that information from the 911 caller that she, someone saw him smacking her. And there was absolutely, she admitted herself that she had gotten physical with him. So she says she hit him first too. Yes. So that's another component of the whole story. And, and they did spend quite a lot of time with the both of them. I mean, it sounds like they spent about an hour talking to them. And, you know, I don't know if this component played into their decision-making, but maybe they didn't want to arrest her because they felt bad for her and they were satisfied that it was such a light and I don't want to put, you know, reduce anything that this guy did, but it was such a light, like he said, a slapping match. Uh, there was no serious injuries. There were minor, almost on the uh, on the line of a violation of a harassment. So maybe their, their, their call was, you know, if we lock up him, we got to lock up her too. And maybe that was reasoning. I don't know. I wasn't in their brains. I don't know what, what their final decision was, but, you know, that has to be taken into account as well. Well, you know, I think that, you know, we, we can all now, because we know what happened, we could all say, oh, maybe this would have prevented something if, had they both been arrested. But in, in another way, they were both, they were separated for a night. She was sent one way and he was sent another. So they weren't together, but they, there was no punitive penalty for their behavior. So I can understand that. But again, it's 2020 hindsight and, sure. and we all know what happened, but uh, look, I've I've had domestic violence incidents where I was called to the scene, and I locked up both the husband and the wife. You know, sometimes you can't determine who the primary aggressor is, and sometimes that doesn't seem fair either, just to lock both of them up because you can't determine it. But the bag, holding the bag, stops with the police. That's the last stop. You know what I mean? And, and the court any, system, that's what the court system is for, too. So sometimes, like you said, Bill, if you can't really determine who the primary aggressor was, well, then you arrest both parties and you let the court system figure it out between judges, district attorneys, defense lawyers, and the system. So so we'll talk about this more in depth uh, this evening. We'll have Joe Murray there. Uh, yeah, he'll, uh, uh, legal. he'll give but, some good input, I'm sure. But you know something, it's, it's so easy for television pundits and to, for people to Monday morning quarterback that weren't on the scene. And the, the the decision is made in real time, not in the time that you're getting 
10 or 15 different videos, different angles of the same thing. You don't have that on the scene. You don't have all of those things on the scene, but everyone uh, that is in judgment of these police has the benefit of looking at, you know, hours of, of, of footage and to be able to sit back in the safety of their living room or wherever and make, make a decision. Yeah. I mean, listen, um, somebody said Monday morning quarterback, it's not what we're trying to do. Um, we're just trying to put out what we know and give our opinions of what we may have done. Um, so, you know, that's where that stands. And, and listen, based on, we know what happened now that she was later killed. Of course I would say, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, I would have locked them up, but we're not, you know, we're, we're trying to be objective about it and give our true opinions about it based on, you know, not knowing the future at the time, nobody knew the future at the time, what was going to happen to poor Gabby, but, you know, being presented with this situation and, you know, trying to make a judgment call and, Again, we don't know if it would have diffused the whole situation and she would have went back to uh, Long Island to her family and never seen this guy again, or if it would have been business as usual the next day when they both got out of lockup. And, uh, you know, or even if he just got locked up, we don't know. She probably would have been waiting for him. You know, they're in another state, they're miles and miles away from home. So she wouldn't have, I don't think she would have hightailed it out of there if he would have been arrested and not her. So, I mean, listen, there's no way to tell. We're not uh, fortune tellers, so that's where we are with that. Uh, Griminator Patty, uh, good question here. Why did the police in charge in the end ask the other cop to make the final decision? He wasn't on the phone with the witness. You know, potentially, I they looked. I, I would think that they probably should have called the boss to the scene. And uh, believe me, cops in New York love to put it on the boss. They have no problem handing it right to the boss because – as they say in the New York City Police Department, he makes the big bucks, let him make the decisions. And I would have no problem them tossing it to me. And if I responded to the scene, knowing all the things I know now, and maybe I wouldn't have known them then, I would have arrested both of them. But I didn't say that initially when this came out on August 12th, because I didn't have all this information. But so maybe the, um, the officer with the beard was the senior officer on the scene. That could be when there's no boss on the scene, that's usually goes to the senior officer and the senior officer ha made a decision. I thought that they were, look, they weren't wild about their decision. Like they gave it a lot of thought. They really did. It wasn't just a split second decision that they didn't want to make an arrest. They actually gave this a lot of thought. Yeah. hundred percent, Billy. I'm so glad that you brought that up because you could see in the conversation at the end of the tape you just played where I don't know if that guy was a supervisor or not. He may have been a senior officer, like, senior officer, like you said, but it wasn't like, yeah, I'm not locking them up and, you know, one, two, three, send them on their way. They spent a lot of time with them. And I think he made the case for his decision based on his conversation with that other officer. And look, I'm not the one to scrutinize them. I'm not the one to judge them. That is going to go on within their own department. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, and I'm sure that those guys feel terrible knowing now what happened to Gabby that, uh, you know, if, if maybe there was something more they could have done. Um, and again, we, we stress that we don't know what would have happened. So uh, I guess, you know, it's it's the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall. 100%. Here's another great question from the chat, the mystery maven. Question, is it typical to have several officers taking all the firsthand info like that, or is there one primary officer who hears it all and makes the decision on what to do? 
Well, really, one sector, it should be their job. It should be the job of one of the sectors that responded. And those are the officers that ultimately the decision, whatever the decision is going to be, it should be their decision if they didn't call a boss. And whatever the decision is going to be, uh, they, they're the ones that should be making it because it, it the job would be assigned to them. So whatever other input came in, I'm sure they'll take that in counsel, but the buck is going to stop with whoever, whosever job it was. Yeah, I think that that really is a great question. And like you said, uh, you know, when the call comes over, it's assigned to whoever sector that is. And that person is ultimately responsible. If it's two in the car, like we do patrol in, in New York with two officers, then the both of them are responsible. But I love the fact that there were other officers in there to give input, uh, hear different sides of it. And a lot of times, you know, uh, I might be thinking one way. You might be thinking a different way, Bill, if we were on the scene of that, and your input might sway me to go a different way with it. So I I don't think you can ever have enough information from other sources or other minds if you have different eyes on it. Uh, you know, I might talk to Brian Quick and walk over to, to Gabby and not see the injury on his face or vice versa. So things like that. The, the fact that there were several officers, there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion, at all. I think it's actually an asset to the situation, to that specific job. And I think that, you know, they all put their heads together when they made this decision. It wasn't just one person that made the decision. Ultimately, it is like we said, uh, it's left on the person or persons who are assigned the uh, the actual 911 call, the, the job. We call it a job. Exactly. John Cook, for what it's worth. I'm an attorney in Atlanta, and I think the police did the best they could with the info they had. I see nothing that merits an investigation into their conduct. You know, John, thank you for your comment. Unfortunately, you know, everyone uh, these days does an overview of, of the police's decisions on jobs, and everyone is an expert. And, you know, it seems like if there's any wrongdoing, everyone wants a piece of someone's ass in these situations, you know? And they want someone to pay the price for it. Was there a mistake here? I mean, look, you can have judges, lawyers, doctors, and Indian chiefs look at this whole situation. And we'll have, you know, hundreds of opinions on it. So that just really shows that it isn't just so cut and dry. It is a little more complicated than, uh, than we're giving it credit for. Sure. I, I agree with you, Bill, on that. There's uh, there's no cut and dry in this business. Every, you know, they, they give you a patrol guide in the NYPD and they give you a lot of different information. You go through six months training in a police academy. But when you get out there, no two calls are alike. And the decision making that's done uh, sometimes in split seconds when it comes to uh, deadly physical force are definitely scrutinized over months and years and uh, a lot of things can be said in a decision that you might have to make that quick. And uh, so with a case like this, I don't think that they rushed it. They had a lot of time to hash out all the details, uh, to, to go through what information they were presented with. They talked about it. And I agree with that attorney that, uh, you know, should it be looked at? Of course it should be because we now know the result of what happened to Gabby. But I don't know if there's a whole lot of... Uh, you know, uh, discrepancy in what they did, or if there's any, you know, criticism to be launched at them based on their decision. It, it, it's a tough call. It really is. And I'm sure if they had a do-over, they would 
you know, definitely put him in cuffs knowing now. I mean, you know, obviously, but uh, so that was a great question. Thank you. A uh, great comment. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mia Nunn, uh, I hope I'm saying it right. Mia Nunn became a YouTube member. Thank you so much, Mia Nunn. Folks, I just want to remind you, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories, go on our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, ring that bell, and give us a thumbs up. Uh, we really enjoy having more and more subscribers. You know, uh, I want to see a, a video like Duty Ron had, 1.5 million views and 50,000 nice. 50, new subscribers. I don't know if that'll ever happen to me, but I'm waiting for the day that it does. But you got to... If you're not in it, you can't win it. And what you were trying to be in it. You know, Phil, I want before, I mean, we're not that much more time. We're probably only going to do about 45 minutes, but let's talk about the FBI going back to the laundry house to collect additional uh, evidentiary uh, uh, evidence yeah. to compare. You know, there's, I'm going to bring up several developments that we're going to talk about tonight, and then I'll get right back to that. Um, in the last couple of days, Dog the Bounty Hunter has been zeroing in. We all know who Dog the Bounty Hunter is from uh, from TV. Uh, he's a, uh, what do they call it? A uh, a bounty hunter, yeah. Bounty hunter, yeah. So uh, he's been in the area of Fort DeSoto Park, and specifically in some islands. There are a couple of hours north of uh, Northport where the Dirty Laundries live. Uh, Hillsborough County. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the FBI returning back to the laundry home. They recovered uh, what we believe to be some of Brian's items, maybe for the dogs to be sniffing in the searches. Uh, you know, the, the dogs need a scent uh, before they can go out and do searches. So they'll they'll have uh, several items that they can show the dogs. They'll pick up on that scent. And when they go into these areas to search, they'll have that scent already. Um, the, the, we talked about the cell phone uh, that was purchased. There's video of that on September 4th. Um, the police are still searching the Carlton Reserve, which is very close to the, the, to the laundry, the dirty laundry home. Um, you know, there's talk about the parents being charged, uh, possibly aiding Brian in his escape and, uh, you know, being an absconder from law wanted by the police. Uh, you know, th there's going to be some discussion with uh, Joe Murray tonight. One of the things that I looked at was possible tampering with evidence if they uh, hit anything or, you know, uh, held anything back from law enforcement and then obstructing of justice as well. And then uh, just on a side note, there was some uh, protester yesterday. Uh, I think it was yesterday or maybe even the day before this protesters outside the laundry home uh, they were protesting outside and they apparently stepped on uh, one of the neighbor's lawns. The guy came out, became irate, struck the uh, the protester. The police responded and they were arrested. And then they were also talking about 48 911 calls out of the dirty laundry home. Uh, I keep calling them the dirty laundry because they're not cooperating with law enforcement. And we've talked about that many, many times. I stole that from John Walsh. I think the name is very fitting. So uh, until they cooperate, they're going to be referred to as the dirty laundry in my mind. And uh, so uh, we're talking about, you know, all the different things that are going on. 48 calls 911 out of their home since uh, Brian's return back to uh, the home in Florida from the trip that he was on with Gabby. So that that has something to do with it. I believe uh, some of the calls were before the September 11th missing persons report on Gabby when she was actually reported missing. Uh, those may be interesting. Uh, we'll get details on them in, in the, you know, in the coming shows. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. That's just a little review of everything that happened over the last couple of days. I think it should be interesting tonight with Joe Murray's input. 
and uh, send it back to you, Bill. You know, one of the things, too, that was still, um, when I talked about Duty Ron's uh, show uh, that had 1.5 million views, that was with Barbara Butcher, who we all love. In fact, I I was the one who brought her into the, the YouTube world because I knew her from working with her on the NYPD. And she was she's the retired chief of staff of the uh, New York City Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. Brilliant, brilliant woman. She's a medical legal death investigator. She's been to over 680 homicide scenes. She's attended 6,000 autopsies. When they had that huge tsunami in Asia, she responded there. There was, I think, over 150,000 people were killed by that tsunami. Quarter million, Bill. Quarter million. Qu- quarter million. Quarter so million. So she, people. I mean, she has seen more death than anyone that I know. Yeah. In fact, she, on 9-11, she was in charge of the DNA uh, collection, and that was no small little thing. So I can't praise Barbara Butcher enough. I love Barbara Butcher. And also Ed Wallace, uh, who's a um, retired NYPD crime scene detective. I mean, I don't think he could have had a better tandem. And when I watch that show, I just, I'm amazed at Duty Ron. I think he's better than uh, a lot of the networks. I mean, they definitely put out much better information. I think the network TV, a lot of times, they just parrot information that everyone else has, you know. And Duty Ron put out real new information. And that's why he got 1.5 million views and 50,000 new subscribers. I can't praise him enough. And Duty Ron has helped me tremendously get uh, get my um, what do you call my mojo? I guess I would call it on on this YouTube channel, and I, I've learned a lot from him. So um, tonight, folks, at 5 p.m., uh, myself, Bill Grimaldi, and uh, Attorney Joe Murray, we're going to uh, tackle the, some of the same information, but more in depth. We're going to uh, go, uh, of course, start out with the. Um, Alec Murdoch case, and then, but we're not going to spend that much time. We're going to go right into the Gabby Petito case. We're going to uh, take a dive into where are they searching, what are they looking for, who's searching. You know, I mean, someone like Dog is a high-profile TV guy, so of course uh, he's getting all this notice. But you know, the FBI is—they're a little more serious, I think. Uh, Duty Ron, thank you for the ten-dollar super chat. He writes, "Bill, you are a kind." You are kind. It was a bit of luck as well. Great guest and luck. Yeah, well, you know something? The um, An old guy that a friend of mine who was a real successful Manhattan realtor and an actor. In fact, he was in the TV show, uh, not TV, the movie Goodfellas. He played Maury. And uh, he said, Maury. He was, yeah, he was a very successful realtor. He, in fact, he owned numerous buildings down in Tribeca. And he said to me, he goes, you know something? My grandfather said to me years ago, he said, work six days a week, 14 hours a day. He goes, and then luck comes in. And I was like, you're right. You're right. So in essence, it's yeah, not right. luck. It's hard, it's hard work. And you, the harder you work, the luckier you get. You know, And, and that, that yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. Final you know, words, Phil. I just want to comment on uh, Duty Ron's show and our show. And I think you made a very good point about, uh, you know, when you look at news media, local news, national news, a lot of times they're, they're shooting from the hip on stuff. We try to dissect a little bit, maybe a little more focused, I guess you could say. Uh, that's what I think the subscribers are recognizing with shows like ours and Duty Runs and some of the other ones that are uh, really, really popular. The difference between you know a 30-second to a two-minute clip on the news, we give it a little bit more focus. And we're not going to report anything that we don't know 
to be true. If it's a maybe, we might mention it because it could be, but we won't go deep into it. We only go deep into things that we know have been reported factually. Like for instance, we're going to talk about the video in the cell phone store from September 4th. That's definitely confirmed. FBI has that. So, and that cell phone is also in the presence of the FBI. So that's the difference between us and any of your major media outlets. You know, folks, again, I just want, I can't thank you guys enough, all you folks that have been subscribing. A lot of you are coming from Duty Ron's channel over to here. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. And again, if you're looking for a um, real breakdown of real crime from a police perspective, then we got the popo. We got the police here, and we're going to break it down for you. Uh, again, tonight at 5 p.m., myself, Phil Grimaldi, and Joe Murray, and we're going to be doing the Murdoch case, starting off with it, and of course, go back into the a deeper dive into the Gabby Petito case. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in, Phil. Final word? Final word. Uh, I would implore everyone that uh, watches our show, go over to Duty Run Show and check out the episode with Jen and Kyle Batoon where uh, my partner in Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories, Bill Cannon, was on. He showed some real emotion. I, it's, I'm not trying to you know, glorify it or anything. I just want to show that we're human too. We're real people. We do become emotional at times. It was a great show. Uh, those people, you can't say enough about them. That was really great. Tonight at uh, five, we're going to go over things with Joe Murray. This should be another very interesting show. I highlighted all the things we're going to talk about. And, uh, you know, thank you to all the new subscribers. Thank you to the, the, the viewers. And uh, I'm just so excited to be involved in this. Again, it's, it's like an accomplishment. We stay connected with the uh, you know, with this current story and uh, all, all the things current. I actually got a call earlier from Sammy the Bull Gravano, who was on our show a couple of weeks back. And uh, he was just commenting about uh, the, the interest that his viewers had in, in Bill and I, and uh, that he thought that our show uh, that we did with him uh, got a lot of views and stuff. So we're going to stay connected in that area too, with organized crime stuff. And uh, you know, going back to uh, what we were saying earlier, We'll be on at 5 o'clock. Keep an eye out for us, and uh, we'll see you then. You see, guys, even the good guys and the bad guys like us. <laughs> well, when you think about it, he was a tremendous asset to law enforcement at the end of the day. He helped take down the uh, the Gambino crime family, but uh, he's very successful in what he does. And uh, so, uh, yeah, just uh, we're all trying to help one another in this podcast world, and uh, it's about getting information out, giving, uh, you know, strategic opinions, uh, you know, focused opinions. And we come from a place of experience. Bill and I, it's about 50 years of experience between us and the NYPD. All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in on behalf of Bill Cannon and Phil Grimaldi. Police off the cuff signing off. Have a great afternoon. See you five guys. Stay safe.